This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and what we're calling a chrono-geobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then stepping off to look at the places or people or topics they get addressed. And, and so today we're, we're doing that. We're, we're taking a look at the book of Galatians. And in the book of Acts, in the, in the narrative there, Paul and Barnabas had been in the midst of their missionary journey in the region of Galatia, that's in modern-day Turkey. And so it seemed appropriate to say, you know, what's up in, in the world of Galatia? And why is Paul writing to them? So that's what we are about today. Uh, ben, this, this is an interesting book, the book of Galatians, and it's most likely one of, and most likely actually the first letter that Paul wrote, as far as we can tell. Some would say it's the first actual document, including the Gospels, that was written down, that, or that we, have a, that we have a copy of today, at least. So it's a, it's a very early writing in there. He had just probably finished his first missionary journey, right? As far as far as we can tell. And so he's he's writing this letter back to them. Now, it's interesting that as as Paul and Barnabas went on this journey up into these region of Galatia, they were ministering to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, that is non-Jews as well, and people were coming to the to the Lord, others were mad at them and and tried to harm them. But they had some success and they established some churches in a variety of cities and established leadership when they left it behind. And then in their absence, when they left it behind, in their absence, apparently some stuff had taken place in and among the community. Can you give me like an insight of what are some of the things that we, we can surmise was taking place after they left, they established churches and put leaders in place, and then went back to their own territory back in Syria, actually. What, what are some of the things that were happening up in Galatia in, in that world at that time? The, the biggest issue that Paul is facing or that he addresses in the letter uh, to the church in Galatia is that a, a group that, that we oftentimes refer to as the Judaizers uh, were influencing the church. And, and basically, they were saying that in order to be right with God, you needed to believe in Jesus and also be circumcised. So circumcision was a, a sign for the Jewish people, the Jewish men, that they were part of the covenant, part of the, the family of God. And so the thought was, okay, you're, you're an adult male if you're not circumcised, because the, the Greeks were not. If you're not circumcised, you have to be so in order to become a Christian. And uh, Paul, Paul, didn't, Paul didn't love this, but Paul was a Jew. He would have been a circumcised Jew. So what was Paul's issue? That it was through faith in Christ alone that we're saved. And so Paul, as we see in the language that we're about to read here, Paul loses his mind. Um, He is incredibly uh, upset that people have come in and perverted the gospel, and those in the church have allowed, really, have allowed the gospel to be uh, perverted. And so, so Paul's biggest issue and what he's trying to get across is that it's, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. 
And so that obviously there's implications of our salvation, which Paul goes on to address at the end of Galatians, that through faith in Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're being changed and transformed and, and renewed into the image of Christ. And there's the, the life that we're supposed to live, a life that reflects uh, God's will and desire. But his big ultimate point is that don't mess with the gospel. And so it is by faith in Christ alone that we are saved. And that's really what his, that's really what his big push is uh, in his letter. Don't mess with the gospel. Yeah, don't mess with Texas and don't mess with the gospel. Okay, so he writes this letter and he jumps right in in chapter one. Let's just pick it up in verse six. And he's writing to these people. He, he planted churches in their communities. And now he says in, in chapter one, verse six, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So he's he's coming right out of the gates here um, with both barrels. I mean, a different gospel, no gospel at all, pervert the gospel, a, a, a gospel other than what you originally accepted. And he's... Um, He's really holding firm to the gospel. So let's let's step back for a minute. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Christ has come and he has fulfilled the law on our behalf. He's been completely faithful to the law. He's without sin. And being without sin, he was able to die to endure the penalty of our sin by his death upon the cross. And that by his resurrection from the grave, uh, Jesus has effectively overcome the penalty, the wages of sin, which is death. And so through faith in Christ, we stand justified. We have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so at its root, that's the gospel. Okay, so that's the gospel. What is the law? You said you used the word law there. The law is what we see delivered uh, in the Old Testament. There are different aspects of the law. Um, you know, you've got aspect, the aspects of the law, which we would qualify as ritual, the, the slaughtering of, uh, you know, the lamb as an, as an atonement, atoning sacrifice or as a sacrifice of atonement on the day of atonement. So you have those ritual aspects of the law. You also have the moral aspects of the law as well. And so we think about the moral aspects of the law. We think about the, the 10 commandments themselves, the things that, uh, the, the life that we live that, is uh is aligned with God's kingdom ethic. And so that at its core, at its root is what we have in the law. Okay, so it's the the Old Testament and the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible really lay out the law in in many ways there are the 10 commandments and a multitude of other uh, rules and regulations that come together in this single term the law. So in in Galatians chapter 2 
and it's in verse 15 and 16, Paul is addressing this to them, and he's, he's talking to them, to the, to the Jewish people who were there, who were influenced by these people that, that you've referenced already, the Judaizers. The Judaizers were trying to get people to obey the Old Testament law, the, the biblical law, and that to be displayed through circumcision. So he says in Galatians 2.15, as he's writing to them, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. It's an interesting use of the word together because he knows that there are sinful Jews. He talks about that in other places. But he just uses, said, okay, we'll call them sinful Gentiles. We'll work with you here. We who are Jews by birth know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Just what you described is not the law, it's the gospel. So we too, it goes on, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There's a lot of terminology there. Uh, walk through with me a little bit. Now, we have works of the law. We have faith. What is justified? Justified is, is simply the, the understanding that uh, being I like to use the, uh, the terminology of being made right with God. We are justified mm-hmm. under the law. We're declared not guilty then under the law by faith in Christ. And so it's not that the law, and one thing that we have to be clear on, it's not that the law is, is evil or wretched or wrong or, or any of those things. It, it is holy and good. But what the law does is the law convicts us of sin. The, under the law, we are declared sinners. Under the law, we're declared guilty. And so the law reveals to us that we are in need of a Savior, that we cannot be saved through observance of the law, but by the law, we are found guilty. And because God is good and holy and just under the law, we are deserving of the penalty that is laid out under the law, which is death. One of the ways that I like to think about it is that God is a perfect God and demands a perfect keeping of the law. And of course, we can't do that. We, we fail, we sin, we choose to sin. And in many ways, we will never, through our own righteousness, measure up to a, a good and holy and, and perfect God. So to be justified is, is to be made right. And somebody had to do that, and that only one that could do that is Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life on earth, never sinned, the Bible says, tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. And so Christ's sacrifice on the cross was so that we could be justified and made right with God, and it's through our faith, not through our efforts. So that's the the essence, I believe, of why Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian people. He had ju- it's his first missionary journey. He had just established these churches. He gets back and he hears that they were adding layers to this concept of faith. They were they were coming back and saying, "Okay, that's great. Jesus died on the cross for us, but you still have to fulfill all of the law." And he thought that diminished the work of Christ on the cross. He, he thought that if, if we begin to do that, 
it would make us not be able to make us not be able to fully embrace the sacrifice that Christ made for us on Calvary. So that's that's how I see it is justified is to be made right with him. Yeah, and and Jesus is either all sufficient for salvation or he's not. And that's the other aspect of what what Paul is delivering here is that Christ, the, the, the grace that God mediates to us through Christ is all sufficient. There's nothing else to be done for the sake of our, our salvation. He also talks in here about where, where the gospel came from, at least for him. And a couple of places in Galatians 1, let's pick it up at verse 10. He, he says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And that's laid out dramatically in his conversion, when we, which we've already talked about. So he believes that the, the gospel, this good news, that the faith in Christ alone was given to him by the, the risen and ascended Christ when he appeared to him in beautiful ways. He, he also says over in Galatians, let's see, where is it? Um, chapter 3, verses verse 7 through 9, and this is like even way beyond Paul, way back in the Old Testament times to the book of Genesis and a man named Abraham. And he says this in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Think about that from when he's talking to people about Jews and non-Jews and the gospel coming to them. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He said, but those who have faith, Jews or Gentiles, are children of Abraham. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify, make right, the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. He seems to be talking here and, and saying, look, we understand that the faith has been passed down from Abraham of the Old Testament and book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, all the way to today, and that's the, the Jewish faith. But that's not the end of the story. And so he takes this, all nations will be blessed through you, the promise that God gave to Abraham back in the book of Genesis as a promise that it would go way beyond the, the borders of Israel way beyond the Jewish communities who were living in all over the world at that time and into the non-Jewish world, into the Gentile world, and that he was indeed the, the one who was taking the message to them. So he didn't want these barriers. Uh, you got to get circumcised or, or you got to f- obey all these rules or these, these rituals of eating the right kinds of foods and all these things. He didn't want any of those things in the way in order for all people to be able to come to accept Jesus Christ. It's pretty. It's a pretty passionate story he's laying out here, isn't it? Yeah, and there's two things, too. It's not like, you know, 
the the gospel itself and the proclamation of the gospel is not unique uh, to Paul. And so, you know, we need to be careful, like when we read Galatians 1 and interpreting that, that Paul somehow or another, you know, was the, the, the in essence, right gospel was delivered to Paul and the rest of the apostles received something different. That's not what Paul is, is uh, essentially saying, that while he encountered Christ and Christ delivered the gospel to him in this way. It's not a gospel message. It's not a good news that runs contrary to what uh, is being proclaimed. The other part of it too, that he makes the point throughout uh, a big piece of his argument in Galatians and especially to the Jewish, uh, to the, the Jewish Christians in particular, and trying to get them uh, to, uh, to again, just embrace faith in Christ alone. He makes the point to the church in Galatia, that it's always been by faith. That Abraham himself, if we go back and read Genesis 15, Abraham himself is justified by faith. He is counted righteous because of his faith in the promises of God. And so Paul's also making the point in Galatians that our, our justification, our righteousness has always been by faith and that ultimately... When God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that all nations are going to be blessed through him, that it, they are going to be blessed through him by, through his seed, which is the coming Messiah. And Paul lays that out uh, in the course of, of this letter as well. So he's, he's really passionate about it, making sure that people know it's the gospel. It's faith in Christ. It's Christ's work alone that reconciles us to him. Uh, Here's a thought. What are some ways that in our modern world, modern Christianity in in the Western world at least, where we add layers to the gospel? I mean, there's there's some where you said, you know, he's passionate for the gospel and and don't mess with the gospel. You said, what are some ways that, that we tend to mess with the gospel in our world today? I think one one uh, way that we see sometimes the gospel compromised, or among those who would say that it's faith in Jesus plus baptism, and that equals salvation. That's the means or, or the mode to salvation. So where baptism itself isn't symbolic of the work of Christ or a a public statement of faith, but it's actually necessary uh, for salvation. So that's one of those ways I think that I, that I, I commonly, or that I've encountered, um, in some theological streams is that rather than Jesus plus circumcision, it's Jesus plus, uh, baptism. Yeah, or Jesus plus tithing or Jesus plus attending the church every Sunday or Jesus plus, uh, living a, a good and wholesome life. The interesting piece though, is that that I think Paul deals with this tension to a degree in the latter part of the book of Galatians. And I'm going to just go to chapter five, because I, th- I think that we, we don't want to get beyond the concept that he's um, not addressing our, our behavior in our life. It's not like your perfect behavior doesn't earn you justification with God, doesn't earn your place with God. However, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to holiness. We're called to, to live a life 
for him. So I want to pick it up in verse 13 because the, he's talking a lot about freedom and the freedom we have in Christ that we don't have these rules and regulations and keeping of the law. But in chapter 5, Galatians 5, verse 13, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, the news. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay, not not too bad so far. Then he moves on in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's contrasting spirit and flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. That, that phrase, you're not to do whatever you want, seems to run contrary to how many of us approach the Christian faith. It's like Jesus plus nothing equals my salvation, so therefore I can do whatever I want. I can live any way I want. I can I can pursue whatever interests I have, whatever passions I have, whatever desires I have, whatever longings I have. And I, I'm thinking Paul included this in the letter to maybe say, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that once... I think he's saying once you are in the faith, once you are that the spirit has control of your life, then you can no longer live according to these fleshly ways. So he says in verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, because this law you talked about that it's in the Old Testament, the holiness, the moral code, we're not under that law. But verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he lists a bunch of them, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Like, This is not the whole list. There's more stuff like this. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So h- how, do we, how do we put this up against each other, like this yeah. part of it and the earlier part? Like, it's not the law. That's not what's going to justify you. But hey, these things, like this kind of lifestyle that you have yeah. is not of the Spirit. Yeah, and, and Paul always anticipates the objection. And so in, in Romans, uh, we see the same basic concept where Paul lays out the, the majesty of God's grace. That it's by faith. In Christ alone, that we're justified, that we're made right with God. And he makes the point, shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? And he says, by no means. And so we're not under the law from the standpoint that we're not, uh, we're not under the judgment of the law. We've been set free from judgment to where the law then is no longer a noose around our neck that is condemning us. Instead, the moral aspects of the law are something that for those who have received Christ as Savior, the moral aspects of the law should actually become sweet to us. So they're no longer condemning us, but now through faith in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're set free 
to live in obedience to the moral aspects of the law, recognizing that these things don't, again, condemn us, but are an aspect of the holy life that we live uh, to God. And so I want my heart aligned with the things that are aligned with God's heart, the things that God loves, the thing that the things that God cherishes, I want for myself. So I have a different a different view of the law in Christ. Again, not it's it's not that which is judging me, but it's the life that I'm called to live. It's a that's a it's a tough piece that's in there because he does end it up by saying those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's just a piece I think we have to wrestle with and say, what's he getting at? And looking at the full context of it, he had just said you're not under the law. Now he says that. But he he does go on to give the good news. I mean, what like this contrasted life about living under the control of the Spirit as opposed to living under the control of sin in our lives. And in Galatians 5, 22, he, he lifts up this better life. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And I love verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And it's almost like we're free from the results, the ramifications of sin, we're also free from sin. Like we, that, that to, we crucify it over again. It's what repentance means, bringing it back to the cross of Christ. Yeah, and for those who are in Christ, for those who have received, the, received Christ and who are uh, marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, have the Holy Spirit moving and working within them, as we grow in relationship with Christ, we will increasingly grieve the things in our life that stand opposed to God. And so in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul makes this point. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children, that we are children of God. So as we're growing in Christ, as our hearts are increasingly identified with the things of Christ, we are going to increasingly grieve sin in our life. Um, and so to that end, yeah, like the, the notion, the idea that someone can believe in Jesus and then our lives not be conformed, increasingly conformed to Christ. It's something, but that's not Christian. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Well, this, this controversy about whether people should be circumcised in order to become Christians was not done. So next week, we're going to return to the chronology in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, where that debate over whether male Gentiles converting to Christianity should be required to be circumcised was going to be settled. And, and whether it was going to stand in the way of the gospel going global, truly, truly going global in life. So we'll, we'll pick it up next week with the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Beyond Mission link. That'll take you to more elements in this year-long study that include all kinds of components. And if you want to stay up to date with the Beyond Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.